Welcome back to part two of our discussion on transitioning from an individual contributor to a manager. Last week, we talked about holacracies, which are flat organizations, and whether or not CTOs should code. Joining us again this week are Tessa, Ari, guest panelist Amel Hussein, and special guest David Ash. In this episode, we'll be talking about managers' roles in retention and career growth within a company. I think when it comes to us and our own careers, it's important not to just take manager positions for the sake of advancing, because as we've talked about, and Mel and David has said, more companies are starting to recognize that the engineering path needs to diverge. And so I think it's important to look for companies that can support that if you don't have that at your company and knowing that. So to David's point, right, we can always have the mentality of wanting to lift your team and helping your team be better, but that doesn't mean you have to be a manager. You can still right. do that as a contributor. And so those my two cents on that. I feel like, you know, there's a bigger issue here that the job title thing, I'm glad you guys brought that up with like, there needs to be more staff positions, but like, don't all companies have a retention problem in tech? Like how many people are spending one to two years and then jumping to the next place, right? And part of that might be because there's a hot job market, but also tech companies in a lot of cases, I think it's baked into the plan that people will leave. And it's too expensive to really keep people around. And then there's the other side of that where people are almost abusive, where they write their technology or their server in such a way that only they can understand it so that they have leverage over the company to never be let go. It's Job security. Like I, <laughs> that's, that never works out. That's the only job security that never works. No docs. <laughs> and also, if people are going to leave anyway, like why hire juniors and entry-level devs? They're just going to leave you. Why put in the effort? But they're cheaper. <laughs> <laughs> to this retention problem, though, a good manager can True. help with that retention problem, right? I can tell mm-hmm. you that I have stayed at jobs or left jobs because of a manager. Your manager is there to be a litmus, right? Like, are you being challenged? Are you happy? Are you growing? What's your personal development track like, right? Are we making space and room for you to grow within the company in terms of sphere of influence and visibility, right? Like your manager is there to champion all of those things, right? And so that's just another kind of reason why that job is so critical because you're really in a position to be an enabler in the truest sense. And so it's such a privilege, right? Anytime you get to actually institute change in someone's life. That is the biggest privilege that you can ask for as a human being. And so it's not a job that I took lightly and it's not one that I think anyone should take lightly. And to Ben's point of, okay, looks like manager's the only way I'm going to get more money or have more advancement in this company. That's maybe not a company that has good, healthy engineering culture and structures in place. And I would say start there. Talk to your company about, hey, here's a career ladders, like Square has a really Mm -hmm. good one. We should try to link in the show notes on career ladders and engineering ladders. And Google has a a good one. You know, how can we start moving more towards this type of structure? Because engineers are like the most expensive to train and to onboard into any company because it takes like three to six months to start being really effective as an engineer. There's so much domain knowledge that you have to come up to speed on. And so it's very important to focus on retention for engineers. Super, super important, right? Um, Because it's really expensive to lose an engineer, let alone a good one. So, I mean, Amal, I couldn't agree with you more strongly, but it seems like companies do not see it that way. In what sense? 
they do not see retention as something so important that they must invest money into it. Yeah, but it is. I mean, ultimately, it's a leaky pipe problem, right? And we have a pipeline problem, right? We don't have right. as many people who know how to do <laughs> what we do, but then we also are doing a horrible job of keeping them once they're within our company, right? And so like, you need that feedback loop and that feedback culture and cycle. And at my company right now, I get a little Slack bot that pings me every week. It's called the Tiny Pulse bot, you know, where like the company just asks random questions like, how happy are you? What sucked this week? And, you know, like, it's really great. Like we have this constant feedback culture where they're constantly trying to get feedback about what's working, what isn't. And then they readjust, you know, it's just like a sailboat. They're constantly readjusting. Like you're never going to be perfect, but you need to be working towards continuous improvement. And if you're not, you're dead in the water. Like you're basically paddling backwards if you're not making things better. Like, because, because, because gravity is, is, is a real really? force. Like, it is? It's always oh, there. No, <laughs> it is. Uh, <laughs> I know you, you, you can't see it, but it's there. I promise you. But what are some other ways that as a manager, you can help improve retention? Because I agree that that's hugely important and it's extremely undervalued as part of the tech culture. Yeah. Well, that's a great question, Ari, because I was thinking earlier, I really want to talk about bias and I want to talk about bias because as an engineer, you have a ton of bias that you bring into any situation that you're in. Like, for example, thinking things are easy, thinking that things are going to take a day or half a day to implement. Or, you know, we just have, (laughs) yeah, yeah. No, no, we underestimate everything as engineers. We just have a lot of bias because we're problem solvers and we solve hard problems for a living. Problems don't scare us. And we think like, oh, I'm going to be a manager now easy peasy got this. Like, no, not easy peasy. No, you don't got this. Trust me. Everyone thinks they're that guy in holes who's like, I can do that. And then he just does it. Exactly. Exactly. So management is an art and it is also a science. People go to school for management, right? They actually study it. You can get a PhD in management, right? This is a field that is fairly complicated. And in fact, I would say more complicated than engineering in the sense that with engineering, things are binary, right? At least things are black and white. With people, they're super complicated. They don't fit into binary kind of spectrums. And so you take a person that's complicated and then you times that by six or seven, you're managing X number of people. Then you have this like unique complex quilt that you need to manage of people's personalities, their strengths, their weaknesses, their goals, the task at hand. There's so much to manage. And so take the time to invest in your learning. Like if you are a new manager, take manager training. A lot of companies don't offer it. A lot of companies do, but try to get your company to pay for formal training, read books, find a mentor. You're going to need a peer mentors, people that have been doing this job for longer than you within your company, it's also really good to get outside perspective. So, you know, you're not echo chambering bad management cultures, you know, so get a manager that's good at their job and get them to mentor you your first year. Like you have to basically go back to being a student and you really need to put the time in to learn and study and listen and constantly ask for feedback. And it's going to take a while for you to be good at it. And you have to understand, I went from being a very senior engineer 
to being a very junior manager. That is not an easy transition to make. It's not easy to go from like the person that knows everything, knows what to do in any given situation to like, what do I do now? It's not. It's not an easy thing. So just brace yourself for that. That's my, my advice to y'all, you know? Yeah, I imagine a lot of people haven't had a similar experience since they switched from middle school to high school or something, going from being on top to... But I'd like to revisit this point that Ari made about manager types, because to your point earlier, ML, about people who are really excited about enabling people, I feel like those are the people who do have definitely the want and the desire to be effective managers. I think also there's a lot of people who are typed as managers, which tends to probably overlap with the same demographic who's typed as like a designer or typed as a front end developer. So I'm curious for the ICs in the podcast, regardless of whether you've been a manager before, would you consider management in the future? Wait a second. Are you talking about the fact that women are natural collaborators and phenomenal leaders and maybe like are awesome managers because of that? (laughs) I, I do feel like, yeah, women and femme presenting people tend to get pushed towards that and pushed towards front end development. Although maybe. Yeah. It's like, you like to communicate, you do this. <laughs> if we're going a little darker, it's the parent track in work. Because <laughs> so, basically you're trying to parent your team into being better. So obviously a woman naturally, because, you know, mommies, that's what we're supposed to do, right? Wait, that's not the movie with Lindsay Lohan where she has like the British twin. <laughs> oh God. I was like, someone's going to call me out on that. Chris is like, it's the parent trap actually. And it was a remake. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, this is something that at this point in my career, I've definitely been thinking about a lot because I'm three years in and it's sort of at that point where if I want to be an effective manager, I should probably start mentally preparing for that. I'm honestly pretty torn because while I think it's something that I could be good at, I don't know that I would enjoy it. And I feel like if you're not enjoying your role as a manager, you will not be as effective because I like getting lost in code. I do. It's my jam. It's where I get my hyper focus. And when you have ADHD, anything that triggers hyperfocus feels amazing. <laughs> but I guess, yeah, it's one of those things where I feel like I have to constantly reevaluate my stance on that. I feel like I got to say, you can get a PhD to be a manager, right? But who the hell does? Of all the managers that are out there, like how many have even gotten a certificate? And like, we're really pointing out a lot of problems with being a manager. Yeah, but there's a lot of bias there, right, David? Like, there's bias in thinking, like, I can just shoot from the hip. Pow, pow, look at me. I'm so (laughs) cool. My decisions are just right. There's so much bias. Like, I'm Slick Rick. Look at me, you know? Right? I was going to make the Slick Rick reference. (laughs) Pow, pow, you know? For those of you who can't see me, I'm air gunning with my pow, pow, you know? Anyways. Like, are you saying, do I want to be in this position? But, like... It's almost like if well-intentioned, mature people don't take that role, then who will? Yeah, for real. There will be some hotshot 10Xers like, oh, wow, you know, this guy's good. I guess we better make him a manager. <laughs> and then six months later, well, there's been a sexual harassment lawsuit. Like, oh, where did that come six, from? Six right? months later, <laughs> hey, so everyone yeah. on that team quit. <laughs> we don't know why. We put the 10X dude as the manager. We don't know why they're all leaving. 
you know? <laughs> like, I'm sure you can see where I'm coming from here, but, like, if the good people don't step forward, the sociopaths will. <laughs> oh, my God. Life. I can't think of any place this might apply to our current situation. <laughs> but, you know, I think yeah. people who want to make a difference and are maybe are willing to put up with, frankly, a lot of bullshit, at least you can prevent some yeah. horrible person. From yeah, are you have a good moral compass is what David is saying. And <laughs> don't underestimate the importance of having a good moral compass, right? And to be honest, we're going to have to go through Twitter and find this tweet to link in the show notes. So a friend of mine, Maggie Pint, she's a manager at Microsoft, and she's now a manager of managers at Microsoft. She's incredible. She's also a huge open source contributor on the Moment.js project. And also she's involved with TC39, working on Temporal. Anyways, she's amazing. And she had this tweet about how like, She's a good engineer, but she finds herself much more valuable as a manager because she thinks there's lots of people who are there to code who can fix technical problems, but so few people who can do what she does around people and process management. And so it's very rare to find people who have strong technical chops who can also do a good job on all of the other parts of the software delivery cycle, including managing people. It's a very rare thing. Like most engineers are bad managers and have no interest in being managers. And so to speak to Ari's point, if you have a remote interest and an inkling, I would say it's worth trying that. But my advice to you is to try it in a safe place, right? Because I can tell you the reason why Mm -hmm. I am not a manager right now is because I worked at NPM. I went through an acquisition process with Microsoft GitHub. I was part of a round of layoffs and I was so burnt out from my job at NPM that there was no way in hell I was going to be a manager again right away, especially as a new manager. I was like way too burnt out. But I knew that I had a lot of leadership and I knew that I needed to have influence over something. Like I'm a bossy lady. All right. And so (laughs) I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to be a principal engineer. And I went and got a principal engineer job. And am I interested in being a manager at some point in the future? Depends, like probably. But it needs to be at a safe place, meaning I'm never going to put myself in a position where I don't believe I'm the culture and I don't believe I can institute change, right? Like NPM was really toxic on a lot of levels. And ultimately, I didn't know how toxic it was until I had joined the company. And so for you as a new manager, if you can do it at a place where you know that you appreciate the culture, you have a path for instituting change, like you're set up for success, Mm -hmm. like that's where you should go and be a new manager and try it out in a safe place. And after 90 days, feel free to fire yourself. If you're like, I don't like this. I want to go back (laughs) to doing my thing. Go do that. Right. But ultimately that first year, you're like a baby, right? So if you can put yourself in a safe environment versus like in a cave full of hyenas, you're going to have a higher Mm -hmm. chance of success. Right. So just keep that in mind, like as you're transitioning, do it in a place where you can safely screw up or safely be successful and learn the ropes in a place where you have emotional safety and psychological safety and you have a path for success. You know, you know, you can make a difference because trust me, like there's nothing more frustrating than being a manager where your hands are tied behind your back. And that was like a big part of my experience at NPM because of the acquisition and just all the crazy nightmare show that came with that. There was just so much I just couldn't even do, including give people raises. 
just to give you an example, right? Because, hey, we're in this weird money spot and it just sucks to not be able to fully do your job. Well, you know, boxers, when they come out of the ring, they get recovery time, right? That should be fair. If you're going to be a manager <laughs> and get figurative punches, you should get some recovery time, right? Honestly, I mean, how do people do it where they're a manager their whole career? Yeah. And I'll get back to you if I can do it. I couldn't agree with you more. So that's the thing, like you'll hear this pendulum swing, meaning where you go from being a manager to an IC back and forth. That's very common in our industry. And I just did it like I'm back to an IC and I'll probably be a manager in a few years, but not right now. Like right now I'm enjoying my job and middle management isn't something that I am craving right now. Yeah. To echo what Amel said, ultimately, a lot of times in tech, we have a lot of people who are idealistic and who want to save the organization. But we're also seeing a lot of burnout as a result. And so to echo Mel's point time and time again, like unfortunately, when you put an individual in a toxic environment, no matter how good the individual is, usually the environment's going to win. And so picking a place that is safe, that will support you or having someone who can at least let you shadow them. So you might not have to take on the position and then like test out some of those managerial duties. That's really critical to not burning out because the last thing we want is for mature and emotionally smart people to leave the industry because they tried to throw themselves and they ended up dying on a hill at a place that wasn't worth doing that for. And they leave tech forever. Like mm -hmm. that's happened on numerous occasions. And yeah, I can't echo Amel's point. Very well said. Thank you, Ben. And I will say that it's okay to change your mind too. It's okay. It's okay to say not for me, actually, right? And so don't beat yourself up about that. You're doing everyone, yourself included, a favor by being honest about what makes you happy and where you think you can be effective. So there's no shame in saying like, I tried it and it didn't work. That's actually very brave. And I really commend you for stepping outside of your comfort zone because it's a privilege to be a manager and it's a privilege to have the bravery to step outside of your comfort zone and try something new. So if you do decide you want to go down the manager track, how do you even know if you're actually doing a good job? You are not sued for sexual harassment. That is a low bar. That's a low bar. Super low bar. I know. No, that's pretty low. Well, I think that's a pretty profound question. Because if you're doing a really good job, everything would just seem oh right. What I'm trying to target in my role is I'm trying to see that people on my team are getting better and maybe even get promoted. I mean, I knew a manager at the first company I worked at. He would tell people, you know, I know how it works in this industry. You're going to leave. And that's okay. You leave when it's time for you. But what I want you to know is while you're here, you're going to get better. And I want you to either get promoted here into a better developer or leave here into a better developer. And mm -hmm. I think if you have that attitude, you kind of resign yourself. That this is a jumpy industry. Unfortunately, if you're a great manager, people may in fact leave faster because you're going to develop them and the market is going to scoop them up. So yeah, you may not have those feedback cycles where it's like, you know, I just wanted you to know, maybe when they leave, they would say that you've been a great manager, but maybe not. Maybe when I hear silence might in fact be profound, positive feedback. You're being a great manager. Yeah, I totally agree with David here. For me, the measure of success is your team. Like, how is your team doing? How are they doing on their goals, right? Like, are they meeting their goals? Are they progressing throughout their careers? And in many ways, like David said, like my goal not just as a manager, like this is just how I operate. I continually try to work myself out of a job. You should try to make yourself irrelevant. Like you should enable people and empower people to the point where your processes and your documentation and your team is past storming, norming, <laughs> they're performing, right? And so if you step away for a week, the world shouldn't collapse, 
It's like I hate people or companies that have these weird bottleneck hero cultures, right? Like, oh, Hero John is here to save the day. Oh, crap. Hero John has gone on vacation. I guess we're not going to get any work done, right? Like, no, that's horrible. When it comes to work, we should all be interchangeable and everyone should know how to do stuff and there shouldn't be weird bottlenecks and weird hero culture moments, you know? And so for me, like the measure of success is how well my team is doing. Can people go on vacation and feel comfortable coming back without crazy workloads? How well are we performing? And do we all have a a good sense of norming culturally? It's just stuff like that. More so just like David said, like, are people growing, right? Are people getting promoted? Is my team visible throughout the org? A big thing of as an engineering manager, believe it or not, like a part of your job is fighting other Uh engineering managers for interesting work. You want to get your team the most interesting, impactful work, like the more high impact stuff you're working on, the more visible you are throughout the org, the more you are to get resources, promotions, et cetera. Like it's super political in that way. And it kind of sucks. But I would say that there's some context into manager land. And if you do a bad job, you end up with the metrics dash. Right. (laughs) Good times. And so as we wrap up this episode, I'd love to find out from Ari and Tessa, we can start with Ari, from an IC, what are the important things to you when it comes to a good manager? I think number one is empathy. If I don't feel like I'm understood, it's distracting from my work. And the other thing would be checking in on a steady basis, but not too often. So basically, you have to be perfect is what I'm saying. (laughs) Share the same Netflix recommendations list. Be a fan of community. Love Parks and Rec. (laughs) Hate the color blue. All that jazz. No, I love the color blue. All colors are awesome for what it's worth. (laughs) No pun intended. What about you, Tessa? Is my mic working? Yes. Yes, you're good. I mean, I think this kind of ties into what I would have answered for my last question about IC the manager. And like, I did this whole bit where I was like, I guess since I'm playing Chris, I'll just do the, well, what about you, Chris? What do you think of your own question? Well, thank you for asking, Chris, since no one else did, but my mic died. So everybody was spared from that skit. (laughs) And now I'm just dragging it back from the dead. When I was doing my teaching and engineering internship at the coding school, I led five teams and I super enjoyed it. but. I feel like I put myself way too much into it and took on quite a large level, like the well-being of my team, both emotionally and technically. And I was really invested in their success. And so I think I probably wouldn't want to be a manager anytime soon, just because I think, again, I would be so excited about it that I wouldn't. This is not a humble brag. I don't think this is necessarily healthy to not have that balance. You know, I don't think I would have that balance. And so I think it is important to have that excitement for your team and be energized for your team's development, but also be excited by and energized for your own development and your own well-being. And also in the beginning, I thought I definitely want to be a back-end dev because back-end is so fun. When I got my internship, I realized that front-end is where my true passion lies, but I also felt conflicted and ambivalent because I didn't feel confident as to whether I was drawn to front ends just because I have this really long history of enjoying HTML and CSS and visual things, or if it was because non-man developers tend to get pushed towards the front end. And I have similar thoughts about management and more people-oriented roles, I guess, even though I would argue that development roles are also people-oriented If I were to consider that, I think that would be a question I would have to ask myself again. Is this something that I really want inherently? 
Or is it something that I'm subtly being pushed to want, if that makes sense? So David, before we close, I was wondering if when you were an individual contributor, there were things that your manager repeatedly asked you to do that at the time you found kind of annoying and you didn't really understand why it was important. But now that you're a manager, you find yourself in that position, like having to bug your developer direct reports to do it. And also, if you were then to go back to being an individual contributor, would you go back to not doing that thing very well? Yes. (laughs) Yes, I can think of one thing. So... I'm not going to say which project management tool. I'm, sure, well, I'm just going to say it's Jira. Of course it's Jira. This is not a knock on Jira. There's reasons to knock on Jira. This is one of them. But this one job, the manager asked me to do this. I'm not sure if it really was what the manager preferred, but to not only have a whole ticket, but also subtasks on the ticket. Clearly defined subtasks with time attached. I cannot stand assigning time to tasks. That feels very bean countery, micromanagey, but I did it. Because I just said, you know what, I'm just going to make up numbers, whatever, play a game, no big deal, right? And I did that. So I don't know if it drove me up a wall because I kind of did it. But now I find myself in another situation, I was using a different JIRA board, asking people to at least put subtasks, no time on it. Because non-developers want to see clearly defined ways to see the progress. And developers don't do it. (laughs) I don't even do it always, to be honest even though I tried to set a good example and do it. And so it's one of those things where if I had to go back, I think I would do it because I think I understand from the non-technical people perspective now, it's a way to communicate without pressure how the task is moving forward. The other thing that drives me crazy is, is it done yet? Which I've seen at pretty much every job I've ever been to and with different degrees of dysfunction. But I've also been in a position now where I want to be the one asking, is it done yet? I haven't done it thankfully, because I know how counterproductive is it done yet can be when you have a concentration work job, right? I don't think I'll ever ask, is it done yet? When you get to the point where you feel you have to ask that, basically say like, look, we really need this right now. You need to give me an indication that you got it totally under control with confidence as best you can, or you got to pass it off to me or someone else, right? Even that's really terrible to have to say to someone. Unfortunately, I haven't had to say that, but I will definitely hate being asked, is it done yet? If I go back to being Yeah, I feel like is it done yet is kind of a canary for process problems. Yeah, totally. You should never have to ask that. Should. I mean, that's an idealistic thing to say, though, like particularly in a startup where maybe the company can go out of business if you don't deliver one feature. But that still doesn't mean it's really very effective, right? Yeah, 100 percent. Well, with that, David, where can people find you on the Internet if they want to talk with you more about managerial roles and those sort of career choices? Reach out to me on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.com slash in slash David and Mash with an E. All right. Great. We'll make sure to include that in the show notes. And with that, it's time to move on to this week's picks. Amel, would you like to go first? Yeah, sure. I wasn't really prepared for this. So I'm going to go with a TV show that I just finished that I thought was really profound. And I need to rewatch it. It was so intelligent. Actually, two shows. One is ongoing. One I just finished. First one is called I May Destroy You. It's a very interesting show about the effects of sexual assault and how that whole thing played out. Anyway, it's on HBO. It's fascinating. The second show I'm watching is Lovecraft Country. It's like sci-fi meets historical piece. It's amazing. Also on HBO. So I'm sorry to recommend two things that are behind pay gates, but you know, cost money to make TV. So it's okay. (laughs) They get 15 bucks a month from me. 
Ari, do you have any picks for us this week? Yes, I have one pick. It is a movie on Netflix. Shocking. Uh, <laughs> it's called Freak Show. It's a coming of age story about a gender non-conforming kid at a very conservative high school. It is both difficult and feel good at times. So it's an emotional roller coaster, but I really enjoyed it. Also, Bette Midler's in it. So that's a win. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Ari. And Tessa, what do you have for us this week? So my first pick is this woman who was recommended to me by the YouTube algorithm a long time ago, Melinda Herman. She's this sweet lady who sings and plays guitar and I think some other instruments with her dog, Jujam. And I think she has a couple of cats. I think I remember reading around this time as well that Jujam means small and pretty or something. And so the reason that I'm picking her this week is because she just received her gold play button, which is like a pretty big deal in the YouTuber world. So I thought that was really nice. And also when that happened, I looked up a little bit more about her and I read that she had like a terrible stroke or something. And so she had lost the use of half her body and she was really depressed about it. But then her son suggested that she use music making as a way of practicing using her body again. And so I thought that that was a really nice story. Wow. Yeah, I just saw the 1.32 million subscribers. Oh my gosh. Yeah, and her dog is always falling asleep on her guitar while she's playing. It's so cute and so peaceful. <laughs> I will have to check that out. My second pick is also on YouTube. It's from the productivity channel, Mike and Maddie. So Ben, I feel like you'd really like them. They have a whole series just on smart notes and note taking. And Maddie, they have a few of these, but I linked to one of the videos that Maddie made on his evidence-based morning routine for healthy productivity. And usually when I watch these videos, I feel really stressed out because it's like they wake up at 4 a.m. They eat the oatmeal from their clean fridge where they have 50 oatmeals <laughs> pre-made and then they go exercise for three hours. And then this one, it's pretty chill as far as morning routines go. Like even for me, I felt like it seemed pretty doable. And even if there were days when I couldn't do it, it was just a nice video. And they explained the reasons behind all of the choices in the routine. Mm. So I thought it was super interesting. Nice. Definitely have to check that out. My next pick, I think I was trying to answer a question that maybe Eduardo asked on Twitter. He had like a screenshot with a cursive font and I didn't know what it was, but I just went into this spiral of looking up cursive monospace fonts. And I found this one that I really liked in the, like they show the fonts in Vivo sometimes in the previews when you're shopping for fonts. And I thought it looked really nice and clean and also kind of rounded and soft. It's called Cartograph. There is a non-cursive style and a cursive style. And also one thing that I don't think is called out super explicitly when you're looking at it is it also has ligatures. Mm. So yeah, I'm pretty excited to try it out with coding and see how that goes. And nice. also by the time we're recording this, actually, it was also added to Sailor HG's computer cuter site. So you can also see it there, which is nice. Very cool. And my last pick is I just started playing Fire Emblem Three Houses for the Switch. And I did not know what I was getting into. I just wanted an 8-bit tactics game, and it is not that. Nope. <laughs> no, it's not. It's basically like so many games combined in one. There's like the social links like in Persona, except what if you don't hear what anybody says to you? They're just sitting there with a cup of tea and nodding. <laughs> but time still passes, and there's fishing like in Dark Cloud 2. 
and like a ridiculously gigantic empty world like in Kingdom Hearts 1. And it's so many different games rolled into one. So there is a lot there. There are definitely interesting aspects to it, but it is also 3000% not an 8-bit tactics game. (laughs) And those are my picks. All right. Thanks, Tessa. David, what picks do you have for us this week? I've got two. First, I have a hey email address. I think hey.com is great. I'm not getting paid to say this. More like not getting hayed. I paid them to use their <laughs> service. And really, it's nothing profound. It's just by default, everything's blocked and you have to let it in. It's refreshing that my email has become boring. Nice. Oh my God. I want a plus one on the hey.com. And I was literally just having a discussion about the hey at work. And my boss was like, just brought up Proton Mail because if they're a US based company, technically, you can't ever guarantee that they're not spying <laughs> on you. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, that, you know, Adam. But you know, he's absolutely right. But Hey is amazing. Hey has changed the game for me. Like, game changer. Not afraid of newsletters or signing up for like anything. I don't care anymore. You know, email me all you want. You're muted. Right. <laughs> In fact, you know, my money where my mouth is davidash at hey.com. Nice. at hey.com. You can reach me there. And also my Twitter DMs are open. So benkodzen at hey.com. I'm not cool at hey.com. Wait, not gloomy at hey.com? <laughs> <laughs> at hey.com. I bet that's real. <laughs> <laughs> Poor person. <laughs> And now my second pick is, this is a little old because of COVID. I've been spending a lot more time watching Netflix than I normally do. But I just found Dating Around on Netflix. If you haven't seen this show, it's like a really well-produced, not super trashy reality show, but it's a reality show. And it's very entertaining to see how, at times, very misbehaved people are on dates, even though cameras are rolling. But it's not like a pull off your earrings and beat the out of people misbehaving. It's more like... This guy forgot he's on camera and he has mental issues. But then also like (laughs) legitimate cutie romances actually may be happening. And then also lots of awkward, I guess my wife would always say when we watched it, like, wow, we almost missed dating. Like, wasn't it nice? But then it's like, but on the other hand, it's also (laughs) really difficult and awkward and stressful. And thank God I never have to do this again. Unless my wife dies and then I guess I have to do it again. Do not miss dating. Just going to leave that there. (laughs) And so last but not least, as far as my picks go for transitioning from IC to manager, as far as resources go, I recommend Nonviolent Communication, which is a book. And so the NVC, which is the acronym for Nonviolent Communication, is a whole model on thinking about how we communicate and a lot of times the language that we use. And so honestly, even if you're not thinking about becoming a manager, I found that it's super applicable to just day to day. So highly recommend that. And then especially if you're a manager, check out Difficult Conversations because it addresses precisely those things, the hard things that we have to talk about and how to do that with empathy. Some of these are a little bit academic sometimes and can be a little dry, but if there's something that you're passionate about, definitely great resources to keep in mind. And for my fun pick of the week, for those who are on Steam and have a PC, I recommend a game called Hades. The premise of the game is that you're the prince of the lord of the underworld and your goal is to try to escape the underworld and so it has that gaming mechanic that i've seen in a lot of games lately where there's sort of infinite replay value because every run has different randomized things and it's basically really really hard to get to the end so you get a lot of replay value out of it and the voice acting and everything the quality of the game is really good it's only on like version 0.3 and i could have sworn it was an official release but they're not even done with the ending yet that's how good it is so Highly recommend it if you want to look for like a good one player game. Wait, I didn't get the memo on these picks needing to be fun. (laughs) (laughs) 
right. Totally no, I mean, you know, the TV shows I picked are entertaining, but you know, we're really talking about fun. I'm just kidding. We're not going to go there. We don't have enough time. Next time, Mel. We'll have it for the next Next time. time. All right. Well, with that, thanks everybody for listening. And until next time, enjoy the view. Bye.